Welcome to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively captures insightful conversations with people contributing to advancement of space activities in India. The New Space India podcast is pleased to announce our association with Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing business and people with collaborative virtual environments to imagine sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups small and medium sized enterprises and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellite propulsion recently a supply chain digitization study with dassault systems was conducted to provide a foundational understanding of the supplier landscape in the indian space ecosystem please use the link in the description to download the public white paper of the results of this study which will also give you a perspective on how ready indian suppliers are to enter the global space market hi and welcome to this episode of the new space india podcast and we have setu here who i know for the last uh, couple of years and one of the fellow entrepreneurs who's also based uh, here in europe setu welcome to the show uh, thanks thanks anpi uh, it's it's pleasure being on your show and, and thanks for inviting me right and i first i think i met you sometime in one of these uh, iac conferences or one of these space conferences and you were working at uh, aac clyde at that point of time and uh, you had a pretty interesting background having done a lot of research phd postdoc and everything so tell us a little bit about you know where you grew up in india and what brought you to europe what what did you exactly do and how you got into the space sector yeah so i i am originally from andhra however i you know spent all my life in chennai until i did my bachelor's so i had my bachelor's in electrical engineering and and i've always been quite quite keen on you know uh, on 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 doing new things uh, be it be it you know education be it anything else so 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 while i was at my bachelor's nanotechnology was something i was quite interested in uh, and and it was so something new it was really sort of popping up uh, back in 2006 and and then 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 i decided to you know do my masters in nanotechnology and and eventually ended up uh, at kth in in sweden uh, which has a masters program in nanotechnology so i moved to sweden uh, in 2010 and while i was doing my masters at, at at kth there was a big research group i think it's one of the world's renowned group in silicon carbide electronics and then they did receive a big grant uh, a european grant uh, for for making whole electronic systems uh, based on silicon carbide for venus exploration and fortunately i was uh, hired as a phd student there uh, to to mainly test the reliability of these electronics uh, both on the uh, radiation front and also like high temperature front So, so i spent about 5 years uh, developing these uh, materials or uh, silicon carbide you know, electronics for these harsh environments and and then then once that was done uh, i thought i had enough of space and i wanted to come back to earth uh, and then uh, i was quite interested with uh, solar cells so i did a postdoc i took a position at uppsala university as a postdoc uh, again developing new materials uh for thin flint solar cells that are pretty flexible lightweight and foldable so these then like half about one year after i started my postdoc i started realizing actually these materials could be quite good for space as well and that's when we started uh, testing these materials for space and it turned out that these are pretty radiation hard 
Uh, actually, in fact, we actually published a paper where uh, we got the best radiation hardened material so far uh, based on these uh, no CZTS uh, thin uh, copper zinc thin sulfide uh, solar cells. So, so this eventually also led me uh, to spend some time at JAXA testing these uh, solar cells. And that's been about eight, nine years of my career. And then I thought we could start commercializing these solar cell materials, but then I hadn't had so much of contacts in space. And, and what I immediately realized was like having contacts is the key doing business in space. And, and that time uh, there's a company called AZ Microtech then, and now it's called AZ Cloud Space. Uh, they were just located like two blocks away from Uppsala University and they were looking for a sales or a bid manager. And they eventually hired me. I spent about one year there. And then, and then, then I re ventured into reorbit. Uh, so that's, that's, a, that's my brief uh, story. Right. Thank you for that. It's uh, fascinating that, you know, people like you start from academic and then get into business. It's a, it's a very strong position to take and uh, definitely something that adds value to know both the technical side as well as, you know, jump into the commercial market to, to get something out of it at the end. So did you ever think that, um, you know, you would uh, go back to India to be an entrepreneur uh, or, you know, was it natural that you studied here in, uh, in, in Europe and you would stick on here uh, to, to continue your venture? No, in fact, when I, when I, when I started my PhD, I, I was actually thinking to going back to India. Uh, so, I mean, I always sort of had passion for teaching uh, and, and I eventually wanted to go back to India and, and start teaching or have a career in teaching. But, but somewhere down the line, uh, you know, during my PhD, I did realize that you know, the, the freedom that you get in, in Europe as, as a researcher is, is, is not something you would actually get in India. Uh, because I had quite a few of my colleagues or my seniors who were doing PhD in the same department. They eventually went, you know, ended up at IITs and, and, and then we regularly speak with them. And, and that's something sort of changed my mind that probably, you know, it's, that was not the time for me to move into India. Uh, and, and then I also wanted to really broaden up my, my scope of expertise. Uh, and, and, and then I thought, okay, let's, let's do my postdoc uh, and then see how things eventually turn up then. Uh, but then, as I mentioned, while, while I started doing my postdoc, then we really saw some commercial value in what we were doing. And then that really sort of kicked off uh, different things, uh, which, which eventually yeah, made me to stay here now. Right. And one of the advantages, I suppose, is that um, in Europe, even though you are Indian, you're open to space in that sense, uh, unlike US, where maybe you can do some research aspects or in space science related topics or some space applications topics, but getting into the hardware sector like you did uh, is very difficult, right? Yes. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's very true. I mean, again, uh, if, you, if you look at like the Indian market, also, I mean, I mean, the market in, in, in Scandinavia, where I was actually based out of, uh, the, the, the hardware is, is not really like the core market here. Uh, so in that sense, that's, that's, that's definitely true that uh, getting into either of these countries like India or being in Scandinavia with, with a hardware background would, would, would have been quite difficult. But also on the other hand, I think I never had the passion of getting into industry uh, not at any point of time during my academic career because I always as I said, had passion for teaching and I really wanted to sort of continue my, 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 my career in research and academics. So, so that's always been my thought process and I never looked into really go, going, going into industry. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was also referring to the, 
constraints due to the nationality you know requirements to work on space projects themselves yes yeah yeah that's true yeah that's very very much true uh and and i think i think europe is slightly relaxed in that sense uh with, with the uh, constraints uh and, and also i mean i should probably also say i have a swedish citizenship so so that changes quite a, quite a lot uh but yeah definitely uh, nationality is a big constraint and and moving to us was was definitely out of question uh you know with with my nationality either with indian or the swedish no right and what do you think you know given that uh, you you have some experience of um, knowing how things work in india of course and then you have now experience of um, you know being in europe for quite a long time uh, what do you think are the contrasts when you look at it from not a researcher's perspective but from an entrepreneur's perspective what do you think you feel as different uh, what are the positives and the negatives on both the sides i think i think i think the biggest difference i've seen is is the mindset or the cultural mindset you know in in europe as compared to in india i mean I'll, i can take an example i mean if you if you if any one of us if you take like our contacts you know the extended contact network i think we wouldn't come across probably we we, we would maybe come across maybe couple of guys who actually aspire to become an entrepreneur in india uh, i mean i at least for myself uh, i myself i've never thought of becoming an entrepreneur any time while i lived in india because the way we have been brought up the way we you know we've been taught doesn't actually sort of allow us to you know think through these risky manners or taking these risky steps so so we we as as traditionally we are like not risk takers uh, so so i think i think but i mean if you look at europe I, i think we would have already come across quite a lot of guys who are aspiring to become entrepreneurs who are actually looking at you know commercializing things at any point of time so so in that sense i think i think the risk taking mindset is 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 the biggest difference i would say uh, but probably that also you know boils down to the way culturally we are probably uh, and 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 the way we are being you know uh, brought up throughout years so so that's that's the biggest difference but also i mean on the on the on the positive side i think i think india is now really changing uh, opening up quite a bit you know and also i think i think the governmental policies are in a way that is actually much more suitable for you know starting up your own things you know commercializing your own things so so in that sense i think i think india is opening up quite quite a bit these days as compared to when we were you know back back in india so 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 that's that's a very positive thing and and i, I i'm sure this is just going to grow up and again now given the talent base that india has if india opens up not even like the full extent of europe but even half of it i'm sure i think that we will start seeing quite a lot of big companies you know big world class unicorns coming out of india i would say right and in your venture what are you trying to exactly do reorbit you talked about reorbit yes. and uh, what is reorbit planning to do and you know, why do you think you are best place to do this uh, in scandinavia where you are located yeah so i would i would actually touch upon couple of big issues that space industry is you know you know going through today and then then associate what we are doing so if you if you look at like the way the satellites are manufactured particularly the satellites that are above 50 kg so what we call like the micro satellites so they are one two bespoke and two the architectures are very much monolithic so what this leads to is is the most dreaded word in space community the nre the non recurring engineering cost so today if you look at like 
any of microsatellites I means the non recurring engineering cost is 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 almost like 30% or even sometimes like half of the total cost of a project uh so 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 that's a big issue today uh, and also we also see that one of the primary reasons of the space debris uh, or you know the problem that we are facing is also actually related to this monolithic architectures of of satellite platforms so so these are the two biggest challenges that space or or the satellite industry is facing today so what we are trying to do is we are trying to address this both these issues using a standardized a common solution what we call modularity and reusability so so when we mean modularity what we are trying to do is like we are, we are trying to modularize the platforms internally where we treat hardware as a commodity so we really don't want to reinvent the wheel that's already been there and and space industry today has a very strong supply chain of you know different vendors so we don't want to reinvent the wheel as any other companies doing but what we want to do is we want to you know build a software uh font and and then just procure these hardware based upon the requirements that we would get and this just plug them into this you know software layer and then see to that we have this seamless integration of different hardware that we procure and plug in so we call this a software defined spacecraft so so that that's one part of it and two we are also making platforms reusable so when we mean reusable we're actually extending this modularity concept in orbit so we are planning to make uh platforms that are you know in, in in a distributed architecture in space so either they fly very close to each other or they are docked to each other and and then you are really modelizing these avionics your payload and so on and so forth and let's say once your payload uh, needs to be upgraded then you could just undock your payload unit launch just the payload unit and dock it or for, you know fly in this formation flying and and similarly if you let's say one of your Uh, TNTC or your OBC is out of control, so you could just you know undock your these units and then just uh, dock dock uh, a new OBC unit. So so in that sense, you're one uh, reusing your platforms, you're extending your lifetime. So we we think that's that's much more sustainable way of uh, addressing the space debris issue as compared to like the most common solution that today people will uh, are going to, which is active debris removal, because. unless you don't have monetization for any solution i don't see you know the this this thing going forward on the on the active debris uh, front right and one of the things there of course is that while you are doing all of this uh, as an entrepreneur you are looking to you know set up your business ground up trying to find um, investors trying to yes. find employees trying to find customers and all of this um in in your experience you know within uh, being in finland and and so on uh, and in sweden and finland both the places and so on how do you compare that to let's say if a next company in india comes up with this business plan because today you know you have companies in india also trying to build cubesats microsatellites and so on and in my opinion india suffers from a sense of um, brand uh, you know uh, related aspects so for example you would call you know india as an outsourcing hub for it manufacturing or it services and so on but if it comes to space or so on there's isro isro has a very big name mm. it has a very reliable name it has a it has all the things that are attached to the you know pride and you know low cost and reliable and everything else but unfortunately indian industry or the startup environment doesn't have the same tag people don't yeah. recognize that in europe people can't even name one indian company that works in the sp- supply chain in in europe or us yeah. that has been my you know experience do you think 
you know, having not, the, that companies in India kind of suffer, at least this is your opinion in that sense, because we can't really know without us having companies, you know, done that. Yeah. But generally, you know, having been in the industry for such a long time, do you think that is the suffering that these companies have that, you know, you can overcome by, you know, like basing yourself abroad? That's what people do. Yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, true. And I mean, I, I think one of the biggest sort of challenges for, for Indian startups is, is to raise your equity after a certain, you know, a level, because at least to best of my knowledge, probably there are, there are very hardly few, you know, VC companies today in India. And also, if you look at these VC companies, what are the, and do they have deep pockets? I mean, can they go beyond $10 million? Can they go beyond $20 million? Because if you have to start scaling up things and, and, and start you know, getting your customer tractions, I, I think you need to have these kind of investments to go all out and start getting these, these kind of customers, especially on the hardware front, because hardware is a heavy, you know, uh, upfront investment, uh, heavy uh, business. So, so you need to have uh, VCs one, uh, who have these deep pockets, or at least, you know, governmental based Cap, venture capital, you know, uh, firms coming out where they could start supporting these companies. I, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges why we don't actually hear companies coming out of India and, and, and start selling outside Europe. And also, I mean, if you look at like space as, as a whole in India uh, on, on the private sector, I mean, I think it's it's relatively quite new as compared to Europe or US. So, so in that sense, probably the baseline is not exactly the same when we start comparing the Indian startups with European startups, because probably European startups have, uh, they're not starting from zero, maybe they're starting from 30 or 40 or 50 when you're running a hundred meters uh, race. So, so if you maybe start drawing common baselines, probably, you know, Indian startups are doing better uh, given the talent base and given the strong, you know, uh, sort of heritage that they're taking from this row. But, but that being said, I, I would probably pinpoint to the investments. And also secondly is, is the way, I think again, you know, culturally we are bought up uh, our education system. I think, I think that plays a huge role uh, that goes without saying. So, so and, and that's a bigger debate that we could have how, how, how we could start evolving the educational system and stuff. But, but I, I, I would see like, our entrepreneurship is strongly tied up with our education system and, and that needs to change before we could start producing successful companies out of India. Right. And is there a perception change in also the customers? Because, um, you know, if I am a customer who is in US mm -hmm. and in your experience, even if it's AAC Clyde, for example, right, where you were previously working at, would they consider like, you know, working with a Indian uh, supplier prominently or would they think, you know, there's not much we know about that supplier or that country and we can't trust the system and we'd rather than work with um, a US supplier or whoever because they have contracted uh, NASA and DOD have contracted them. Um, you know, that's again, a big part of the perception gap. Yeah, uh, maybe I could I could speak for myself, not for AC, but uh, but yeah, I think I think definitely there is there is this perception. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure there is this perception about about engaging with Indian companies today as compared to say engaging in Europe, engaging in US. Uh, again, this is primarily because they haven't seen successful companies coming out of India, and and also given some sort of you know. 
prodigious mindset of of european companies i think i, th- I think there is definitely this thing but again i think we could easily break away this uh, this kind of a perception uh, uh, you know mindset once if you have some big companies coming out of india i mean i think i think probably uh, if you look at like the way the it sector has grown in india i'm pretty sure in in early 90s uh, people would have looked at indian it startups similar way as as people are looking at us you know space startups today but then given that the government has done quite a lot of investment given that the uh, growth has been quite exponentially high with the it sector you now now people look at india as a strong it hub i i would again say that if we start producing some successful stories out of india this perception could very well change and and, and there are already a couple of companies coming out right now with agni cool and 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 belactrix you know pixel so so in that sense i i'm sure this will definitely change as as these start becoming quite successful right and there are of course today you know novel joint ventures that are uh, happening in india with you know bst for example well in space technologies having with uh, jv with azista and some of that mindset might change and we have seen a recent announcement of uh, even nano avionics or isis or um, you know saturn networks yeah. uh, partnering with indian companies and so on so maybe you know we are at the time when some doors are going to open and through that maybe some things are going to change uh, eventually but this will take time of course yeah definitely definitely and also i mean we i think i think everyone recognizes that going to india would definitely reduce cost on your on your you know personal so so that's that's i think i think that's that's a baseline there the only thing is still you are now getting your supply chain from europe or us so your 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 hardware is still driven your hardware cost is still driven by the european cost and the uh, you know american cost so so once you start getting like now you have these big platforms coming to india now once you have also the supply chain if that starts building around these bigger you know uh, tie ups this will eventually bring down the cost significantly uh, and then that will probably start opening up doors even more you know much more much more aggressively and 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 then it's just a matter of time when this will happen because you know as you said they're now just in 2020 or 2019 to 2020 in couple of years there've been like uh, quite a few uh, european companies doing this jvs with with quite a lot of indian companies so so this is definitely going to kick off uh, uh, quite a few things so when you started your company idea and everything of course you know i believe that you are also somebody like an average indian who comes from a pretty middle class family and you don't have you know bags of cash that you're yes. carrying around to kick off your company in that sense but uh, generally you know what is the kind of support that you got when you started reorbit locally and you know before you got your first stage of investors what is the kind of ground support you had either in starting the business or getting your business plan or you know meeting with investors or others to take it to the next stage so so initially i i would i would actually probably say it this way the first support was was basically from my family because we i i just when i started reorbit i had a very small daughter she's like 3 years old but so i've been i've been thinking about starting reorbit for like 6 or 7 months before i actually kicked off and and my wife she being also a researcher she sort of understood the nuances of actually doing these new things so she really sort of gave me a strong support saying that yeah she saw a value in it and you have to go with it so i think i think that's the biggest uh, support that i got because without family supporting i don't think i would have kicked off this but that being said 
intern i mean from so we we started reorbit in sweden but we haven't we, we didn't really have the kind of support we expected here in sweden so so for the first five or six months it's been me going around you know speaking with investors and you know speaking with quite a few different countries as well because the moment we saw that you know sweden was not the place to be with with kind of the support that we got here so we really sort of realized that probably have to go somewhere else outside outside sweden and that's where we felt finland was quite interesting because finland was having big ambitions in space and and they already had a successful story with isi so they really sort of knew what it it meant to invest in a space company and and then we 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 were at uh, i think it's called european space week uh, in 2019 december 2019 in finland and then we happened to speak with couple of uh, you know the finnish space agency or there, there's this most finnish space agency but business finland uh, which takes care of uh, finnish space so people and, and they really felt connected with our idea and then we also got couple of investors in finland who were quite interested and then we were also quite successful to actually uh, convince one of the senior guy from my side so ignacio who's now our cto so so he was then the vp of uh, spacecraft at at isi so we were quite successful in convincing him joining uh, on reorbit on the reorbit so then it was a very natural choice because we had a finnish investor we had a finnish cto and then we had like uh, the support from the business finland so we eventually moved to uh, finland and then we raised our uh, seed round in in, in june uh, this year uh, and then things started kicking off uh, Uh, then so so we had about first six to seven months, uh, which was really quite passive on me running around, really trying to convince people around to see like why there is a big potential in this. But once people start recognizing it, things started actually just snowballing. So so we things started moving quite smoothly. Right, and have you interacted um, with any of the Indian companies to either have them as a vendor to you? or perhaps uh, you know have you supply stuff to them yes uh, we did both uh, i mean one of the sort of uh, you know one of the thing that we have in our roadmap is to actually start us entering in, in into india uh, through jv or whatever uh, through like like the other companies so so definitely engaging with indian companies as as always been there uh, from day one uh, at firstly on on the supply chain side as i said like still the indian supply chain is strongly dependent on european uh, goods so so when we started speaking with quite a few of these sub vendors in india we didn't really find a huge difference in pricing as compared to what we actually get get here in in europe in in terms of uh, un, unit you know un, un, unit pricing so so in that sense at least that's why i say like this has to evolve uh, to really be competitive uh or, or to compete with european heritage that's one but also on the other side uh engaging with potential customers we are also speaking with quite a few guys or quite a few companies and and as things are growing now we strongly see uh collaborations uh from r and kicking with quite a few indian companies as well right and one of the aspects here of course is that um there is a lot of um you know given take when it comes to policy makers helping startups and how frequently they listen to them to be able to change and to accommodate requests for all of this um how has been like your experience working with um, 
you know business finland and even the many of the government officials there mm-hmm. i'm sure that you know given that finland is a smaller country than india the track to get to people and to have the conversation is much smaller mm-hmm. but are there any constraints in business that you see that affect you immediately or nothing at all because if you look at indian companies you know they are all looking at getting a certainty in terms of uh, getting access to you know the licensing required to access frequencies or you know to sell their imagery or to do any kind of that kind of business those are some of the uncertainties that also make investors hold back right so yes. uh, what is it like to do you know business in finland for example with this i mean it's it's uh, so finland is a very small country as you said so it's and, and it's also a very open country meaning you could actually just take your phone and call to the head of finnish space and, and just speak with them uh, which i don't think would be possible in in any other country so so in that sense doing business in finland or in scandinavia i would actually generalize it because all the scandinavian countries have pretty similar policies so it's it's quite quite straightforward so you could just reach out to the top decision maker and and just say hey you know this is what we are facing through so is there something that we could sit and discuss over a meeting so so in that sense there are no real uncertainties that would come come up uh with with doing businesses more on the regulatory side of things in in finland uh but but then the the constraints probably would be that quite a lot of investors are based in central europe or in us uh so so reaching out to these investors probably would then take a bit more time as compared to reaching out to the governmental agencies in finland so that would be probably the biggest uh, constraint but then that that's probably the constraint for any other company which is which is based anywhere right so so in that sense i would i i really i would say like as i said moving to finland has been like one of the best uh things that that reobit has done uh given the ecosystem that that's building up and and also given the given the uh you know emphasis finland is putting into space because there's a very clear direction that finland has where uh the space will will have to go and and where they have to invest so so in that sense i think i think finland has a very clear view uh, view of how finland is going to take space and and the best thing is that's communicated with every startup in finland so we all know what the government is thinking and and we could then align our strategies based on that and also in fact that uh, as you said finland doesn't have a space agency as such doing a lot yeah. of the things by itself and i think that is the problem with many countries that have legacy space institutions run by governments and government institutions who have built all of that and today you know give, because the commercial doors are becoming open for a lot of these they have to you know strike a balance in allowing private people to do whatever they want to do now mm-hmm. and at the same time maintain the uh, you know operations and the missions that they were working on previously and that's the case with um, many many countries uh, who are established space powers including places like india and china as well and you know that is i guess also one of the advantages that you might have being in yeah. finland definitely uh, that's definitely true uh, i i completely agree with that and also and also since i mean if you take like since there is no space agency i mean the number of people working on space in finland on the governmental side is probably handful of people so so you really know all of these guys and and then reaching out to them and and just again as i said you know speaking about policies and regulatories would be pretty straightforward so so you get you really get quite a good support uh, of what you really want uh in in being in this kind of countries 
from an investor's perspective do you think uh, the, because you know you you are in such a country where everything is so accessible and policies are more certain and so on that they never think of policy as a barrier to investment because i have had conversations with a lot of venture capitalists in india who i tried to not pitch my business but basically mm. asked them to consider investing in other space startups or you know look at space as an area that they could invest as well and their primary concern was that uh, they were not very confident that the regulatory mechanisms needed for some of these companies to be successful will be fast enough in place uh, for them to invest in right so that was uh, one of the main concerns as to why they would not enter the sector to invest in yeah definitely i mean we have never had this uh, this dialogue actually popping up with with any of the european investors or the american investors that we have been speaking with so so in that sense yeah i think i think i think people rec- recognize that the policies are pretty uh, open and and also there are no uncertainties attached uh, I, i wouldn't say not just not just like in finland but i think if you take across europe i think i think these policies are pretty uh you know standardized in in that sense so so you don't really have quite a lot of un- uncertainties uh coming coming out so so we we have never had that uh, in uh that 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 dialogue uh right and are there any overarching restrictions that come into your mind that you have certain restrictions uh, or is the you know book open to its fullest extent uh restrictions on which which terms you mean in any trade terms for example you know if you of course i know are you based in india or you know in the us for example you will have restrictions to let's say do trade with china for example mm. you cannot import a lot of stuff you cannot uh, yeah. sell a lot of stuff there are there mm. any um, overarching restrictions for you to i mean i would say like definitely itar is a big restriction because today's space is so much us based somehow you will end up with with some part in some of your supply chain that is coming from us so 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 definitely that's a big restriction i mean in fact i think china is now really there's a big business in china available but but then you just simply can't do because maybe you're just procuring a small computer from 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 us and and then that really so stops everything uh, but but again being modular the way we are thinking uh, on on the architecture side platform architecture side actually we could get around those restrictions quite a bit on on the ita side because you could then sort of standardize certain solutions for say china uh, with with you know running over uh, the itar regulatory so 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 in that sense i think i think we are we are in a far better position uh, to getting around these kind of uh, itar regulations uh, but other than that i i haven't at least we haven't had any any such kind of restrictions or we have we don't foresee any such kind of restrictions uh, being based of of where we are today uh, in, in in finland or in europe right and you know you if you have been following some of the conversations that all of the new space uh, startups in india have been having with the government it's to get a lot of the policies into place and you know giving recommendations and they formed a new association for new space companies yeah. called space face federation of india and mm-hmm. all of these things so these are you know the evolution of how industry is being formed uh, in india i know that you know in in where you are today you have quite a lot of mature startups including isi and you know many others that are present what is the general expectation in 
between these startups that are you know around you in your ecosystem against the government you know against the contrast of what is happening for example with some other startups in india yeah i'd say one uh, being having an open policy from government helps quite a, quite a bit for 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 us as as you know startups based in scandinavia or in finland particularly because then you clearly know that these are the things that the government make us want and these are the things that they clearly don't want so so then if we start to, you know if we decide to actually be getting some institutional money or being dependent a bit on governmental fundings then we know that what we shouldn't go into and we know what we have to go into so in that sense that helps quite a bit having this open policy and and very standardized regulations and and having this open you know communication because you know we get sent with when there's a change in policy when there's this change in expectations we are communicated with that uh, pretty often so that helps for us so so we could always in a way plan our strategy in a way plan our you know uh, road maps according to that but but when it comes to india i, I think the biggest uh, issue I, as you said is is government being probably not very open and vocal about the policies i i completely agree on that because then that sort of uh, kicks back to your investment ecosystem it kicks back to your own policies i mean you can then not start you know planning where you have to put your investments where you shouldn't put your investments as a company uh so so that's that's definitely a big big sort of uh, drawback but also you know with given given the complexity with with indian governance i think one should expect this but but also on the other hand having these kind of uh, i would say like uh, ecosystem based communities uh, really helps because that's something at least in finland you know startups have been really pushing for because now we are having this ecosystem based communities where we sort of these are very informal uh, you know communities but still we have this opportunity to meet with seven different startups that are located in finland and start discussing what we could then propose to the institutions to change and and and, and then that's that really helps on on evolving and empowering these ecosystem based communities is much much more of value so uh, when i mean empowering either you know put them as a advisory on certain governmental things so so that that would really drive things forward in a much more efficient way but also probably that brings quite a lot of stability to the investors as well one of the biggest uh, challenges of course is that um, the market local market is a big change between india and other countries especially in europe uh, because you know india in that sense is that uh, is a kind of a pristine market which is unexplored in that sense for space applications because government is only able to do some applications that are mostly government to government or you know disaster management or some some small applications like telemedicine or so on restricted to certain pockets but you need the commercial companies to come up to serve a lot of the other markets that are evolving today in earth observation or communications or so on like you see today with airtel or you know even spacex uh, planning to enter india to a large extent and amazon and everybody else right so there's a large enough local market for people to come and now explore certain end user services that are based on space related stuff and that uh, presents itself as an opportunity once the regulatory barriers come up and they are solved and you know they yeah. they actually uh can open up that market to these people to come and invest and also to provide that services and i guess you know that is the main challenge for any of us who have started companies in europe or you know many other places because we 
have to rely a lot on the export markets mm. to find our customers that's very true i mean i mean the likelihood of actually producing the next space unicorn is actually india because given the magnitude of uh, the end users you have uh, that it's, it's a big market so so the likelihood of producing a uh, big company or big next big companies from india but then there are a couple of strings attached to it right i mean one is as i said the way the governments would behave so that you know going forward so that really sort of uh, decides how these uh, startups would start scaling up that's one but two also i would say like our human resources meaning how we as as as, as a society would start evolving uh, with with this I, i don't know digital revolution or the space revolution that that's that's going to come up so because we have traditionally been sort of seeing space as something that we can never enter into because at least i myself while i was when i was a kid i was always sort of interested with space but i never had idea how i could enter into space so so that that sort of kept quite a lot of uh, you know uh, people away from this market uh, but i think that's changing and, and then it, we have to also see how would this evolve and and and, and then and then how would how 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 would the mindset of people change on that front so 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 that will also govern this uh, scaling up of the startups becoming quite successful right and as uh, an entrepreneur who is from let's say in india and living in um, uh, in europe for example there are some opportunities that i see between india and us for example there is the indo us science and technology forum that presents an opportunity to link up with india to do joint projects and so on but at the moment as far as space is concerned there's very little exchange also possible you know yeah. between uh, countries as well and that is also something i see as an opportunity to kind of tackle and to present itself as um, as an instrument you know because european space agency has instruments that are restrictive to europe and uh, there could be some joint instruments like they do joint missions between space agencies that you know basically space agencies and government can set these joint instruments where it will set the tone for partners who have complementary skill sets to work together so in your case you know you may be a producer of a of a bus or a satellite in itself and and then end user in india can be rolling out certain solutions based on this and you know governments to create that sort of a model where both the parties kind of benefit having complementary stuff may actually be explored and it's actually very little explored at the moment yes that's very true and also i mean the reason for that is today space is still predominantly defense based uh, i mean if you look at like space today it's 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 predominantly us based and then within us it's predominantly defense based so so that really closes up quite a bit of uh, or or yeah market or, or to the end users so or making it much more restrictive so in that sense i think i think europe is is in a quite unique play, position because when it comes to europe space is not so much defense driven uh but more application driven in in europe so so in that sense i see actually quite a lot of synergies between uh you know potential relationships between indian customers with european supply chain and and i'm sure I'm, this has already been sort of explored because india is now you know signing up uh, co- collaborative agreements with for instance france i think there's been one with sweden few years ago germany so so i think this india has probably recognized that and also europe has recognized that but then it's 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 upon the startups and the you know commercial uh, entities to then come up with 
new ideas and 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 make use of this these agreements and and take this market forward both both in europe and in in india so so i really see a strong synergy between the indian and the european counterparts rather than us and the indian counterparts right and one of the interesting aspects uh, here is that um, the cultural aspects that we talked about there's also an interesting insight there right because when you look at a country like us look at the non space market like it industry or mm. other industries you will find a tremendous amount of uh, successful indian immigrants heading those companies you know including like google or microsoft or many 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 others right and in fact you know this is something that is interesting that uh, i was remarking with uh, one of my family members and he's based here in uh, europe and he was saying that i don't know why i cannot raise to a level of uh, you know heading a european company uh, because traditionally you need to have the cultural background the the language uh, background and many other insights to work with a board of an established company to you know to be there and it's a very slow phenomena i mean there are now some immigrant entrepreneurs uh, or immigrant uh, workers who have risen to head companies in europe which are primarily european brands but it's a very slow phenomena considering what has happened in the us but in our case you know we are really talking about uh, uh, startups in this sense as in where people can uh, start by being immigrants like yourself for example right in that case but what i wanted to know from you is that uh, is there any change in attitude or change in the approach if you are a immigrant that you faced uh, being there or because you know you are basically a trained scientist although you are an immigrant that increased your value or your yeah. perception of uh, yourself with the others how did it really work out for you uh it's a, it's a it's quite a tricky question right <laughs> uh so I, i would say like having having the educational background that i have uh, definitely helps in in reaching out to certain people which otherwise wouldn't have been possible so so i would put it that way so so definitely the strong educational background helped me quite a bit to 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 reach out to some people so so in that sense probably if there was some other immigrant you know entrepreneur who wants to do probably not space any any other startup with with a limited educational background and and a limited uh, you know overview of how things are here probably i'm sure he he or she would face more difficulties than i would have faced so so in that sense i i i would say like probably i was a bit more lucky enough to have the kind of background i have uh, that's one but also i mean culturally there's quite a lot you need to adopt being in europe as compared to say being in us because especially in scandinavia because you have a very strong social system here i mean you cannot really ask people to do certain things that you could actually take for granted in india i mean for instance you cannot ask people to work after 5 i mean uh so there's a strong regulatory thing and then you have the strong social element you you always put like you would need to have a work life balance pretty strong work life balance uh, across europe so so in that sense you have to start adopting to these things and and also given that i've been living in sweden for like 10 years or 9 years before i started reorbit so that helps me because i spent almost one third of my life here now so so i in a way i know like what people expect here what things have to be done how things have to be done so so that really helps so so there's definitely this cultural barrier but i would say like 
adopting from indian background to an european background is much more easier than adopting it to the other way around because you're i mean we are used to working sometimes like 15 hours a day and now you come here and work probably 6 hours a day sometimes i mean it's quite easy to adopt i mean also remember like uh, when i started my phd so i was actually especially asked by my phd supervisor not to work after 5 uh, because i was quite used to working late, until late nights and, and he really forced me not to work after 5 and not take care of this work life balance so so in that sense uh, i would say there are quite a lot of things you should adopt but i, I think that would sort of you you learn this as 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 you uh, you know be in the society yeah i mean that is always an interesting aspect because even for me in that matter you know our company is based in the netherlands but i don't do any of the aspects directly related to government and so on but i also wouldn't know where to really start in that sense because you need to have like the local networks and language to go yeah. after it can be a disadvantage if you are looking for you know access to government related affairs but if you are a pure play commercial company i think you don't need to bother at all no 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 definitely definitely not but also i mean the small things right i mean when you start you need to really know how to actually set up an entity legal entity in sweden or 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 in netherlands then you need to really you need to be able to go to the website and read and understand the content of it and and most probably or def- mostly it will be in the lo- local language so you really need to understand the nuances of what is what is there so there, there are quite a lot of small things that you need to get right because if you don't have uh, your legal entity in a proper structure then you are going to face legal you know issues ultimately later in the day so so in that sense there there've been quite a lot of small things that really helped me uh, being being in this society for like 9 years or so Right. and one of the aspects here again which is interesting is uh, from a product price perspective mm-hmm. because uh, the moment when i talk to somebody and say that my company is based in the netherlands and we have you know colleagues in three or four different countries they immediately ask me why don't you open a development center in india or hire you know uh, five people for the cost of one in europe and everything mm-hmm. else that's the usual conversation that i get from a lot of people back home uh, especially like friends and family and so on yeah. so uh, from your perspective uh, you know what do you think of uh, this because i believe that um, for me personally time zone is a very big challenge if you have colleagues in different time zones and you know you are from different planes the cost really is uh, also an indicative of certain amount of quality as well Uh, and a certain amount of reach that you can have to in terms of trust and people so at least for young companies because we are not like the microsofts or the outsourcing businesses in the world where you can you know hire in the thousands and uh, and you know have this massive workforces yeah no i actually i also get this quite a bit uh, you know why don't you start in india and, and you could cut down your you know human resource cost significantly i definitely hear that but also i mean then if you if you actually sit back and look at the companies that are already there and producing certain uh, you know avionics for for space vendors so we did actually speak with quite a few of them and then if you put the prices next to like the prices that you get from european vendors they're not so different i mean so in fact they're actually pretty similar because all of these guys are dependent on a certain you know uh, stam that comes from us so and that drives like 70% of the cost of this product so so ultimately i see like the cost is strongly driven by hardware and quality of the hardware rather than the uh, you know human resources because the human resources cost is ultimately probably 20% of it and then and then here you could in a way find 
people that are already trained uh, to you know producing certain things because of the strong heritage that you have in europe but probably in india you have to maybe spend you know five years or three years of time to train certain you know uh, human resources to have similar kind of products produced so so ultimately it boils down to similar prices so so in that sense i really don't see so much difference at this point based on the uh, you know argument that you could reduce the cost of uh, your human resources but i see a strong value once you start producing a strong supply chain within india then i think it makes quite a lot of difference because then you're no more dependent on the same product that other european countries are dependent on so then you could reduce the cost so so unless india doesn't start investing in that front i don't see a huge competitive value on the price and one of the interesting aspects again you know there is the element of uh, how much tax you put on imports i remember you yeah. know 10 years back uh, if you wanted to import a lot of the things as you said sram is one example that you gave but yeah. most yeah. often most of the foundation sensors the foundation material uh, out there that are all not produced in india india has a very good build to print manufacturing uh, pcb manufacturing that kind of a base but when it comes to the core components itself there's any hardly anybody who actually produces anything there and in fact you know i still remember i don't know if the policies have changed but normally there is like a 30% tax on importing a lot of this and in uh, most often a lot of these european companies have free trade agreements or you know there yes. there are no such import taxes with us and other places which means that you almost directly save the 30% on the cost hardware anyways you know because yes. you have to pay that 30% to the government in india yeah definitely agree yeah Ta- again government regulatory is a big big thing right yeah uh, definitely and, and not just tax also i mean just just you know being having uncertainties around policy also increases your cost uh, in a way so you so so definitely there's there's always this element because if you have a very standard and stable policy that you already know of then you could work towards reducing certain costs so so this definitely adds up on top of the 30% tax you're you're saying so so and that's why in a sense the product cost or, or the hardware cost always overdrives the human resources cost significantly so therefore the savings that you would incur in the human resources is really you know overshadowed by all the other hardware and the tax and the regulatory costs right and how big is uh, government procurement in itself uh, help to you because you know one of the major aspects as to why many companies in us become successful is that the us government acts as a customer in that sense and this is a problem that we see even in india even with the new space movement that is happening today mm-hmm. i think most of the people in the government expect these companies to rely on foreign capacity or mm-hmm. foreign uh, you know people buying a lot of their products uh, and you know if there is a launch vehicle company they are expecting some foreign satellites to be launched on it through these indian startups and not really indian satellites being launched or indian government defense satellites or whatever xyz mission or it, it's the same case if you are building a satellite i guess most often they are looking at foreigners you know using those indian capacity and this as a export related activity that the government yeah. would like to encourage uh, but then is this the same uh, in in sweden do you think is there a balance where governments give uh, a certain leverage or or you know is it then pure play you have to look for commercial business abroad 
so so one thing i would i would actually first comment this from from reorbit's perspective so so at least when when we you know when i started reorbit the first thing at least or the two things i really sort of put down as a pillar of reorbit so one you know detaching from the government's money as much as possible because we have seen today quite a lot of companies being over dependent on governmental money so one what this really makes is that you start getting into a cycle of uh, you know just catering to government needs which probably are not exactly what the market needs so so in that sense shifting from that towards a commercial uh, you know need requires quite a lot of upfront investment again to you know make that balance so so that i have seen through my experience and and, and that's something we at reorbit will definitely don't want to get into uh, unlucky enough now we are sort of finding some traction on the you know uh, commercial side so so that's that's one and two also i think finland is uh, in a way i could speak up for, for, for finland so finland is is also quite sort of keen on pushing the companies to start commercializing things and not be dependent on 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 uh, the governmental money so they actually sort of uh, what is it they actually have a metric to measure each uh, euro that a company gets from government to the each euro that the company brings into uh, finland so so they measure based on this this uh, metric and and then that sort of gives us as a company a clear direction that okay for instance if this metric is like 20 where if they give us 1 euro we have to bring in 20 euros back as an export so so we know okay this is how things are going to work and then we could plan our strategies in in that way so so again it it sort of ultimately boils down to finland being a bit more open in in communicating their strategy and two also us as reorbit we are quite op- open in in you know communicating internally that we will definitely not be dependent on the government governmental money right and from from that you know what is it from a talent perspective that you think is uh, locally available because we know that um, a lot of the indians of course you know we have a huge engineering base in india a lot of young engineers of course the signal to noise ratio in india is very difficult yeah. to achieve we have thousands of people who want to enter into space but don't have the skill set that is required it's mostly like fascination to ex- enter the space sector rather than the skill to necessary to get into work into companies yeah. um how was it like uh, for you to look at local talent and do you think uh, i've seen actually a lot of companies in europe starting to hire a lot of uh, indian students who have basically come over at, to europe and have studied here and that's yeah. also worked out quite well for them yeah so so uh, firstly i think i think uh, I'll, i'll actually again go back to my phd years and and probably relate this to what you asked so one thing what phd taught me is that you could always learn new things if you have the ability to learn and if you have the interest to learn so so because as a phd student you are always continuously learning something new so so this has strongly sort of struck, struck in me so when we wrote like the reorbits hiring policy or or let's say the talent building policy what we have decided is that we are just looking at people who have the passion for space one and who have the uh, ability to learn fast 
an ability to you know fail fast and learn fast again from that failure so that's that's pre precisely what we are looking at so we are really not looking at people who have strong experience in space and stuff okay if they ha do have that's 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 a bonus but what we are really looking at is someone who's so much passionate about what we are doing and someone who's really ready to learn fast and fail to learn and, and fail and learning from these failures so so in this process we actually already been you know looking at couple of uh, people from india who never had experience working here and in fact one of them actually don't even have masters he has just completed his bachelor so we are looking at that kind of talent where we really find them interesting because they are quite smart they're quite you know eager to learning so so that's what we are looking at so so in that sense india is a huge talent base there because you have quite a lot of these people but then there's also this you know signal to noise ratio that you have to be careful enough to uh, figure out but then then i think you also have methodologies to figure these uh, ratios so you could put some high pass and low pass filters that you could get through these uh, these noises so so we are doing that but getting like locally we also see like since isa has grown up like pretty fast and 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 you know pretty big in pretty uh, rapid time this has attracted quite a lot of talent into finland uh, and and there's not just isa there's also aurora technologies which is growing very much rapidly these days so so this has also attracted quite a bit of talent and and also in sweden there's there's traditionally been this ohp and and, and also ac so there's also been a strong talent here so so there's a huge local talent here in in sweden and finland which which we are always you know lucky to just onboard these these people so so what uh... would make you consider you know india as a destination to also have a base or so on i know that you talked about uh, mm. the jv potential partner and so on but i'm just trying to get a perspective of um, you know why would entrepreneurs uh, want to return back to india or potential entrepreneurs who are you know researchers like yourself for example have got a lot of uh, insight into what they want to build in the future and you know in the future maybe there's enough uh, you know potential for them to return back to india and to start off there how would you think that picture would look like i think uh, this this is i mean the people coming from abroad into india is growing uh, especially in like past few years uh, i do know like quite a lot of my colleagues who started phd's after me they are going back to india uh, because things are changing quite a bit on on research front today i mean for instance i think i think government is investing in 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 research funded projects mainly like iics or iits and and then their iits and iics are quite open but also i do know like there are quite a lot of uh, private universities who are actually self investing in in research uh, so so i know like couple of private universities in 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 chennai and delhi who are actually putting their own resources in in, in funding certain uh, r and d projects so so people are recognizing that you know building a strong research ecosystem is a way forward to building a strong society both on the entrepreneur side and also building a strong society on 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 every other front right so i think i think government is recognizing it and people are recognizing it and and this is definitely going to improve so this is definitely going to bring in quite a lot of people who have settled in india back to europe but then there are also quite a lot of other stuff that needs to evolve one we spoke about governmental policies being more stable being more inclusive when i mean inclusive you know taking all the stakeholders into a decision making rather than just taking a decision and then just communicating it to the stakeholders which sometimes happens in india right so 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 that's i think one of the major thing when it comes to 
startup side but also on the research side it's it's quite important that government start you know shaking up a bit on the educational system or the basis of our educational system because the way our educational system is today i don't at least this is again my personal view i don't see it sustainable going forward or taking india into the leadership position that india is aspiring to be because you have to you know in in addition to the knowledge based education system we have today you need strong experience based and uh, educational system and also you need to sort of inculcate a bit more uh, you know da- daringness into the educational system and rather than just you know putting them into a cocoon so so and that has to be shaken up a bit uh, to really attract the talent that is already in in europe or us back into india right so it's been an hour already i'll uh, let you go soon yeah. with the one last final question in that sense yeah. um what is your perspective uh, you know 3 to 5 years down the line that things would look at uh, as the new space of india ecosystem evolves how would you think it would have evolved from your perspective because you are you you see things happening in india you see things happening in europe i would want you to give your perspective on how you see things evolve in the next 3 to 5 years yeah so there is one assumption okay assuming that the governmental policies are a bit more inclusive uh, i think i think it could take time but as long as they are inclusive uh, i i would definitely see startups coming quite a lot of startups coming out of india that's one then it's a matter of question how many of these startups are on the hardware side uh, meaning the supply chain side so if the supply chain starts growing i see a strong potential of quite a lot of business that's done in europe and us shifting into india especially on the space front so thank you thank you very much for taking you know so much of your time in um, in this episode i think um, this is the first time i've actually had a indian entrepreneur who is having a business abroad to speak about uh, his perspective in in the podcast and to talk about what are the pros and cons and what is you know what are interesting in terms of learning why people start businesses abroad and how it could be also you know what would make them to go back to india and so on so it's been a very insightful episode and insi- very insightful conversation thank you very much yeah i appreciate as well and thanks for inviting me again it's been my pleasure talking with you and sharing my experiences thank you